I'm Charlie Albone, and welcome to episode seven of season two of That's How We Grow in partnership with Steel Garden Power Tools. If you've been enjoying the season so far, be sure to leave a rating and share the series with your friends who are passionate about gardening. On this episode, we're going to chat about designing a beautiful garden space around the great Australian backyard pool. Australians love to make a splash in their backyard, and for this, you need to consider the best ways to plant around your pool to have a great looking garden. It's no secret that in Australia, pools are a staple of many backyards. An estimated 3.3 million Australians have a pool in their back garden. But whether it's a pool or any other feature in your backyard, there are plenty of things to consider when planning your landscape. Anyone who has a pool will understand the work needed to keep the leaves and the dirt out. So planning an appropriate garden will prevent this work. I'll be joined today by one of Australia's leading garden and pool designers, Tristan Pearce. He's based in Perth and he loves designing a garden featuring an amazing pool. We're going to be discussing what needs to be considered when planning a garden around a swimming pool, some of our favourite plants to use around a pool, and how your garden can complement your swimming pool. The design and build of a pool can be a major project in itself, and I'm looking forward to hearing from Tristan how we can make this as smooth as possible. So get your togs on or find a comfy place to sunbathe, and let's jump into the deep end. My next guest is someone I'm really excited to introduce to you all. I have been following his work on Instagram for quite some time, and I'm really looking forward to putting a face and the voice to this amazing work. He's based in Western Australia, landscape architect Tristan Pierce. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Charlie. Nice to meet you. You too. Can you tell me a little bit about what you do and how you got into landscape, landscape design and architecture? Uh, we are a team of two landscape architects that um, design single mm-hmm. residential uh, landscapes and pools uh, in Perth. I um, studied landscape architecture at university and um, the reason I sort of went down that path was I uh, always have had a passion for art and, and nature and it was sort of um, seemed logical that the two went together and, um, you know, and I was uh, basically allowed, able myself to do uh, that day in day out and really enjoy it. So Tristan, as I mentioned, your Instagram is so strong. You've got a real look to your landscape architecture. There's often a lot of curves in your swimming pools. There's a lot of greenery. How did you develop that? How did you develop your own look? Um, I think probably evolved over time and um, the curves is, is um, definitely something that is um, of, often bought up by our clients and um, it hasn't actually been that intentional. I, I suppose it, we just feel like it flows really well with the, you know, being curved and um, a lot of architecture is quite, um, well, naturally quite square in floor plan and for us to be able to move into nature and, and introduce a few um, sort of gentle curves has been something that we've we've, we've um, really enjoyed and uh, it's been, you know, uh, valuable to be able to, to put forward our, um, our designs in 3D as well so people can um, sort of see that. And on Instagram, you know, that's, that's largely what we, we present. We sort of present concepts and ideas and to deliver them through um, 3D fly-throughs and 3D renders um, is, you know, is, is a really powerful way to communicate. If you were to describe your garden style, would you, would you be able to put a, a label on it? I think we at times get called contemporary. Um, however, I, I probably, uh, I'd, I'd hope to think that we have a, um, a quality of landscape that underpins what we do um, and, and our style somewhat shifts and moves um, with the architecture as well as um, the client's kind of 
um, desires as to what kind of garden they like. Um, we were sort of mm. doing a, um, you know, some of the architectural ones that we do, they call for a bit more of a rigid kind of um, structure to sort of relate relate to the, the architecture of the home. So, um, yeah, maybe may contemporary. I would say it was contemporary. However, you have such great success with your planting that it stops it from being uh, an extension of architecture and a real celebration of the landscape. Yeah, and, and I think that's sometimes plants can be used to to break it down a little bit and, um, you know, lap over the, the sort of the geometry of the design. So you do break the, the sort of circular or the more of a square line that um, with, with detail planting in the right areas. So when you're designing for a client, what, what are the biggest constraints you have? Is it around construction principles or is it around the, the client wanting certain, uh, certain things? Is it the soil perhaps? Yeah, I think yeah, there'll be definitely a number of things that are considered. There'll be council requirements um, that there'll be um, a sewer, a likely a sewer easement that, that is um, on site where we need to avoid the proximity to that. Um, there'll be coastal or, um, sorry, environmental conditions. So if there, if it's a project right on the coast in Perth, we need to adapt to that with our plant pellet. Um, and, and yeah, there's, there's probably quite a lot. And there's also um, council and um, um, regulations and Australian standards that, you know, we, we sort of know pretty well. So you can't, we kind of do it naturally now, but um, there's certainly things that we would consider with every project. So do you uh, normally work with architects to, to get in on these projects or do you, do you work with people that are renovating, that sort of thing? Who's your sort of client base? Yeah, we work with architects. Uh, we work with all a broad range of people. There's a few builders uh, that we consistently do projects for and there's also the direct relationship, um, uh, direct-to-client relationship. We definitely always mm-hmm. like to maintain that because we do uh, feel that um, you know, all of our projects about are about people fundamentally and how they want to live. So mm-hmm. to get to know them uh, throughout our design process is really important. And um, even when we are, yeah, like I said, working with architects and builders, it really comes back to uh, establishing a really good relationship with the client to understand what um, what they really like in, in their project and what they're trying to achieve and how they want to, I guess, use the space to to change the way that they're living their lives at the moment which is the nice thing about landscaping, isn't it? You really do make an impact on someone's yeah. just well-being. Absolutely. And I think it, it, it's sort of, uh, it's also done through architecture and, um, and then, you know, just, just it's really furthering that process. And uh, in Australia and in particular Perth, um, it, it's just becoming more the norm. And um, uh, it, it's, it's really important to, to sort of drag people outside and, um, you know, get them to appreciate nature and, get away from, uh, you know, technology to a degree and, um, you know, uh, communicate with people again. You mentioned you're in Perth. Um, That's a very different climate to so much of Australia. How do you find it uh, gardening there and, and, you know, creating spaces in that climate? Yeah, it's it's definitely different, but I suppose I've always grown up with it. So um, I'm quite accustomed to what our sort of, what our climate demands and it's very dry so very free draining soils Mm -hmm. eastern states is um, more of a clay soil and we've got a very sandy Mm -hmm. soil so uh, the planting definitely and and soil preparation and retic you know irrigation needs to uh, be um, sufficient to to sort of you know uh, all come together to produce a successful garden 
Yes. Yeah, it's it's looking at it holistically, isn't it? You can't just expect to uh, find a nice plant, put it in the ground and expect it to grow. You've, you've got to do the soil preparation. You've got to have the irrigation and you've got to understand what kind of maintenance you can give a space. If push comes to shove on our project and um, the budget starts creeping up, we probably suggest to downscale the plants, um, but don't skimp on the soil prep and retic because that's something you can't really do very well after the fact. So if you've got, it's like the mm. foundations of projects and getting, getting that right um, uh, is extremely important. So how do you improve your very sandy soils? Is it organic matter and compost or is, have you got any yep. other tips and tricks? We previously have done more of a um, uh, sort of remove 100 mil and put 100 mil of soil condition, organic um, soil conditioner in, but we've actually moved more towards a concentrate. So uh, it, it, it actually requires less um, soil to be taken off site and mm-hmm. the high concentrate and is mixed in with the existing soil to improve it. Um, organic is, is, is extremely important because that remains in the soil. Um, it, it's, it's definitely been a bit of a game changer um, to get that right, mm-hmm. um, has definitely delivered um, really successful projects. Yeah. Do you have problems with um, hydrophobia where you just cannot get water into the soil? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's certain um, areas of Perth. Um, mainly coastal because it's a limestone um, sort of soil base where you can actually just see it. You can actually you put water on the on the soil yeah. and and, the, and it just actually beads like it does, you know, on a painted surface. So it's it's quite amazing actually. It looks and, like um, mercury, doesn't it? Sort of on, yeah, on the soil. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, on your Instagram, you have some absolutely incredible looking projects, and as you mentioned, a lot of them do incorporate a swimming pool. Uh, is that driven by the client or is that uh, something that you sort of push yourself? I think it's probably um, naturally evolved. I really have a, um, an interest in pools, um, mm-hmm. but I haven't really consciously gone about it um, that way. I, I definitely have an interest in, in you know, the broader landscape um, and how connecting areas of the home and, you know, if there's a dead spot um, in the garden, you know, we introduce a space that is kind of like it, it's a, it attracts people to it. So pool is one of those items that will certainly a, attract people out there, and um, you know, connecting the, the pool to the broader landscape and the home, and um, it, it is is pretty much what we try to achieve. So I know that gardening around a swimming pool can be quite messy sometimes. Do you have any uh, tips and tricks for keeping leaves and debris out of a swimming pool? Yeah, I think it would definitely be um, come down to a number of things. Plant selection would be um, something that really needs to be considered. We would also um, drop our soil levels around the paved surfaces that, that are um, adjacent to pools, so typically by about 50 mil. So if, if leaves and debris do fall, that, they'll remain within the garden beds and, and not spill over into the pool. That's interesting you say that. So then mulch will stay in the pool and... Um I guess any excess water that moves away from the pool because you can't have groundwater moving into a pool then collects in the garden beds and you, it sort of doesn't wash back into the swimming pool. Well, it's basically, it's a, it's a really good one, actually. So if, if, you know, if you have a few, you know, you're naturally going to get leaf litter over time. And, um, yeah, if, if it's sort of falling, you know, onto the pavement, it'll get, you know, hopefully get blown into the garden bed or if it's falling into the garden bed, it, it doesn't actually overflow and um, come out and, and, you know, go into the pool. Is there any time when you turn up and the client is desperate for a swimming pool 
and it's just not the right situation. There's there's overhanging trees that like a jacaranda, for example, which would be a nightmare around a swimming pool, and you just say you can't have one. I think you need to be really honest, and um, you know we're pretty we're pretty um, conscious of that. So if something's not going to work spatially, or if there's you know, like you say, if there's a massive jacaranda there and it's it's going to um, over time really really drive them nuts, we would certainly um, bring it up and um, you know it's it's probably a responsibility of ours to to make sure that we're you know being really considered like that to to make sure the clients are ending up with a product that they're they're hoping to end up with. And that's one of the benefits of using a professional, I guess. They they're not emotionally tied to the space and they don't have ideas that are, are driving them with, with from other other sources so i guess you can can go in and tell them exactly how it is exactly right and you know we're selling a you know well we're not selling a a, a product as such so we're not selling a pool so you know we we, we, we just want to make sure that the clients um you know get get the right outcome and if, if it, you know if a pool isn't something that's going to work there, there there'll be alternatives that we can discuss do um rollout covers help with keeping debris off water or are they just a nuisance because you've got to roll them up and then they get all the leaves collected in in in, in the cover yeah they, they sort of work sort of temporarily to a degree um in, in that respect so mm. you find that when you do um take them off the leaves do actually go into the pool um the benefit of them though would be in perth particularly about um the water evaporation so um yeah just just uh, reducing that and also probably from a heating the pool perspective they're quite good for that as well. I think having a uh, involving a landscape designer in that process is a great way to to understand exactly what you can and can't do in a garden space. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're definitely going to achieve a um, a much better result by having someone um, of that skill set involved. Just just like anything you do, if there's a you know a, a professional service that um, can assist you in. Um, Getting, getting that ultimate design um, or, you know, um, whatever it might be as a lawyer or a doctor, you know, there's, there's that skill set mm. that you, got, you lean on when you need it and it's not, not dissimilar with, um, you know, achieving a fantastic landscape. Yeah, I think what people need to understand when they're involving a landscape designer as well is, is they don't have all the answers for you. They're there to help you create your own space and, and draw out exactly what you want from the space, uh, but just make sure it's done properly so you don't end up with any you know mistakes at the end yeah and i think that's really important um to make sure that um the designer uh, it's their responsibility to, to listen to the client and, and like i said a bit earlier that you know um make sure you understand the client and um what, what they're after and then use your professional skill set to deliver a, a project that they love but is a little bit more than what they might have been able to achieve uh, independently yeah uh, absolutely. And, and I think a lot of people get scared off by plants uh, and that's where they lean on a landscape designer or landscape architect for, for that kind of information. I guess planting around a swimming pool can be quite tricky in, in so many ways because you've got the water coming out of the pool, you've got the rainwater, the, the pool water is often got some chemicals in it. How do you, how do you pick plants around a swimming pool? Yeah, I think probably through experience, um, we, there will definitely be a few plants that, um, unfortunately, we have used, um, or I have used throughout my career, and um, they definitely have not survived with the level of chlorine around the pool. So we would make sure that mm -hmm. they are a little bit um, tolerant of those conditions. Uh, and also the other thing would be worth thinking about how these plants are going to be maintained and um, how, how you do that. 
Yeah, so I guess when you're talking to the client, you have to understand the amount of maintenance they can give to a space and, and realistically, are they going to have to get someone in to help them and, and what plants do you put around the, the pool? You know, large conifer hedges or something that, that drops a lot of uh, flowers or seeds or something might not be the best choice. Yeah, and, and trees, um, you know, what sort of tree you're putting around the pool because if you put a fine leaf um, tree that drops its leaves into the pool, it can, it can do a bit of damage or it can be pretty, um, not damaged, it just clogs up the filtration system. So you, you might you find yourself using um, trees that have a bigger leaf and hopefully drop less leaf litter. What are your, uh, what are your top trees for around a, around a swimming pool? I, well, look, it's, it's a bit of a cliche one, but the frangipani is, a, is, is very widely used because of the broader leaf. And um, mm-hmm. I know it's a deciduous tree, but... You know, well, there's one that's an evergreen, but it's a deciduous tree. Um, but at least it just drops once a year, so it, it's 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 not a bad option. Um, the other uh, mm-hmm. trees I like is um, the um, Tristanopsis, which is a Kanuka. So it's it's a PBR. So I don't know if you have it over there, but it's it's a it's a great um, evergreen tree. It's a small um, yes. or relatively small tree, and it's 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 a great. Um, sort of option for um, residential projects. Yeah, absolutely. We use um, the the variety Luscious quite a lot, which yep. has that lovely white white uh, trunk to it and black black tips to the leaves, but really glossy evergreen. Really, really good tree. So that is good for around a swimming pool. Yeah, and it's it's, it's interesting. Like I've got them at my own house, and um, I think that's a great way to explore if you're a designer to explore. Um, trees that you're putting to projects yourself in, in, in your, and I've got a, a heap of plants, the tester plants in my verge that I, I test out and sort of observe how they grow. So, you know, designing on a piece of paper and then putting them in, in the first day, everything looks great. You just want to make sure, in, in my opinion, that, it, you know, a, a landscape and a garden lasts, you know, a, a period of time. So it's, um, it's always looking good going forward. So, yeah, definitely um, one worth considering. Yeah, they're they're a living, breathing thing, and and yes, they're they they're supposed to look good when they're finished, when all the workmen come off site. But in two years, they're supposed to look better than that, and then in five years, they're supposed to look even better. They're one of those things that just gets better with time, and that only comes from picking the right plants for the right spot. Uh, you don't want to be fighting these things, and uh, yep. you, you can get it wrong by putting you know big trees in small spaces and and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, we have got it wrong in the past, so and, and you know I think you have to accept that sometimes things don't work for some weird reason and, and I, sometimes I never have found out. But, you know, obviously, rule of thumb, we would um, uh, just know what is going to work and, and just, just make sure it's not going to drive um, people nuts with root systems and um, or getting too big, like you say. Um, it's definitely uh, mm. worth you know, making sure you consider all of that. Tristan, you mentioned you love getting out in the in the garden yourself and doing a bit of hedge trimming. I'm a huge fan of the still battery stuff. Are you are you using battery or are you still still petrol? Yeah, I, I definitely use the battery powered um, tools. It's um, a bit safer for me. I'm not, you know, being a designer. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm my hand in man is um, quite limited. But you know, that's just so easy to use, and um, you know, there's no cords. You can go anywhere, and um, you know, they're just so convenient where you can just swap the battery uh, over to the next piece of equipment to, to, to keep going. I'm a huge fan of the just the fact you can press a button and it's turned on, and you and you you know you remove that whole trying to start the engine. It's uh, it, it's a great great benefit to every gardener. 
when you're um when you're planning a, a swimming pool and there are say trees overhanging something like that do you try and reduce those trees back uh to to keep them away from the the water surface or or is it just something you have to live with yeah look it's absolutely i think you know if you, if you can sort of uh you know balance it out with shade versus um, maintenance so uh, you know it's always worthwhile so if we need to sort of uh you know get in there and um take, take a bit out you know there's some great sort of pole top trimmers that that would be used to cut some branches back here and there when you're pruning a tree you really need to well consider about the, obviously the the benefits of reducing it back but also take in the consideration the aesthetics of it as well you don't want to have a lopsided tree, for example. Um, so, you know, only reduce back, I guess, what you have to. Absolutely. And always, always, um, uh, horticulturist taught, taught me once to, to, to trim it and then step right back and have a look at it and then go back and do the next branch. So, um, it's super important to do that so it doesn't look, um, it still looks quite natural and obviously it, it done in best horticultural practices as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it does grow back, but it takes a long time to, to grow back. So it's much easier to, to take it slow, reduce it slowly. And uh, like you said, just keep standing back and taking a look at it. Yeah, when it comes to planting up, uh, I, I noticed on a lot of your jobs, and we've mentioned it about using the pool wall as the fence, and you almost have like a moat of planting around the, the pool. That would obviously get quite a lot of splash from when kids and people jump in the pool and stuff like that. Uh, but the planting has to stay low, so you, you can't climb on it to make it compliant with pool fencing regulations. What sort of low plants do do really well in those kind of chlorine-y type um, situations? Yeah, we've, we've probably used um, a few lamandras uh, in the past, so, mm -hmm. so they seem to cope really well. Obviously, it's extremely important to to um, not have any plants that become ever become climbable. Um, so, mm -hmm. so you're spot on with that. We, we don't do as many, um, we don't do many overflow pools. We actually have pools that have got, a, got an edge um, to them and they also have a capping so um, the water doesn't come out as much as, 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 um, uh, as possible. But yes, it, it's, it's things like dianellas and lamandras that will be commonly used for trenches. If we've got a bit of shade, we'll use um, something like the um, philodendron xenodu. That's that's quite a actually mm -hmm. works brilliantly actually. So, but if it's a bit in Perth, if it gets too sunny in too sunny a spot, it'll tend to um, get a little bit burnt. Yeah, it's pretty bulletproof the xenodu, isn't it? You can use it in so many locations. Uh, definitely. We we mentioned that a lot of the water has uh, got chlorine in it. Do you ever put in uh, magnesium pools or or sort of freshwater pools, anything like that? Uh, we do. We do probably often use ozone, which is a lower. Um, level of chlorine for the pools and people um, mm -hmm. and the naked pool system. Um, so there's definitely a, a few uh, ins and outs. We, we also make sure that we work with a pool builder to um, to also listen to them and what their preference is because they often have their preferred option and um, we, we sort of understand that and, um, you know, collaborate with them. So we don't sort of um, profess to know all about that sort of thing. But... The, the naked mm -hmm. pool system uh, is, has been something we've used for a long time. Less chlorine, people really like it, as, as, you know, get out with less chlorine on them. And we're just actually delving into, um, well, we just started the design of, of our first natural slash living pool. So that's um, yeah. something that I've seen quite popular over east and um, it hasn't been a great deal of it in Perth, but it's, it's really exciting to sort of do something a little bit different. Yeah, they, they are really exciting, aren't they? I mean, they use them 
in Europe they've used them for for ages, where it's basically two swimming pools, isn't it? One that you swim yeah. in, then that water gets pumped into the second pool, and going through natural reed beds before it gets pumped back into the big pool. So you get it's like swimming in a in a freshwater lake almost. Yeah, I mean, it kind of kind of makes a lot of sense, really. Um, and, and obviously, mm. I dare say it's a lot more environmentally friendly. So you know, it's um it's something that we would like to. Um, develop our skills in that area and, and hopefully take that forward. Yeah, the downside is is the space, needing two, two pools and, and obviously the costs involved involved with those. But yeah, I think it's uh, going to be seen a lot more moving forward. But we've yeah. spoken quite a bit about swimming pools. How do you incorporate a swimming pool into a garden, you know, without it taking over and, it, and the space still feeling like a sort of sanctuary, getaway, green, green area. Yeah, I think it's, that's extremely important uh, to, to do that and also to give it enough breathing room around um, the pool uh, sort of just so you can have a lush backdrop to it. So um, I think we try to link it visually. So or, or when you're mud mapping it, we, we design in 3D. Um, we go straight into 3D when we design. Um, but I also would all, you all know, right. really think about... Um, you know, how you can view the different activation areas from each individual space and link them together and, and, and get mm-hmm. those proportions right so you don't have one massive alfresco in a small pool or, um, you know, vice versa. It, it, you want to make sure each area is livable. We place furniture within, you know, indicative furniture within these spaces, people. Um, you know, we've got little um, uh, blocks that we place into our models, our 3D models, so we can kind of gauge how these spaces are going to feel. So it, it's mm-hmm. largely about proportion and, um, you know, sort of it, it's a little bit innate, you know. I think that's definitely something that I've um, got quite naturally. Uh, but, you know, you mm-hmm. always develop these things and, um, you know, just, um, you know, when you walk out in a space that's been constructed, you, you, you sort of feel how that um, space is going to work and, you um, you know, it's probably something that you train. So you might, it's largely proportions, I suppose. Yeah, and I guess that comes with experience, doesn't it? You can you can draw something, but until you see it built and move around the space, you don't really get to feel it. So, but do you ever design yeah. for maintenance of a garden, or is it just aesthetics? Oh, absolutely. I think maintenance is really important. It's a balancing act, as as I'm sure you know, to um, make sure mm-hmm. that. The garden is um, relatively easily maintained but also um, is looking the part or, or, or looking how the client would like it to look. So um, we, we would actually use a lot of um, border hedges and, and the word hedges sometimes freaks people out a little bit but um, mm-hmm. when I say hedges I probably mean a green screen, um, something like, I don't know if you have viburnum suspensum over there but that's probably one of my favourite yeah. plants and it's a bit of a loose kind of hedge. So... Um, when mm-hmm. you do maintain it, you, you have a, you know, you're, um, you're sort of, you want, you're sort of trimming wand and I'll probably do it at our house about once every six to eight weeks. So it's actually not as hard as, as people might think. Um, so we definitely have that as a backdrop and then probably we would clump some um, plants sort of like together so they've kind of got um, similar hydro zones and similar maintenance um, sort of requirements. Yeah, absolutely. With hedging, it's interesting you say that it's more of a green screen. You know, most people think of that tightly clipped, formal, uh, almost European look with a hedge, but they can be lovely, loose, um, green green backdrops. And with that, I guess you get uh, more flowering, you get better bird life in there. Um, 
and and you get a softer look, don't you? Absolutely. No, I prefer it. I think that it's 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 still looks structured, but it's just a, a slightly more relaxed kind of setting. Look, and I think that's just a matter of opinion. I don't think everybody would necessarily share that opinion, but it's sort of something that I mm. I probably prefer to see in our gardens. Is there anything anything you see in the sort of landscape industry, landscape design industry that's really um, coming forward at the moment by that I, I don't like to ask the question what what sort of trends do you see coming up because I think it's all about what the what the client wants but is there anything that you've noticed with your clients that is a, comp, a you know a theme that's running through that people really like to see in their gardens I think um, <clears throat> something that I've observed or, or where, when we're sort of working towards is is probably bringing some more natives um, native plants into our plant palette as well as um, mm-hmm. drought-tolerant plants, there's, there's quite a few exotic plants that are actually quite drought-tolerant. So um, I think that's that's which we're trying to mix our planting palette up a little bit more to sort of to, to be a bit more environmentally responsible and, um, mm-hmm. you know, still have a great garden and, um, you know, it's, it's a bit of an education kind of thing for ourselves and clients to, you know, move, move towards being a bit more environmentally sustainable. So the plant palette is... Is mm. certainly some, one that is uh, continually evolving. Do most of your clients do the maintenance themselves, or do, does your firm do that, or do, do you use a subcontractor to do that? We're just uh, landscape architects, so it's myself and um, a, another um, landscape architect that work together. So we, we pair up um, with um, we've got a, a, a there's a horticulturist that I used to work with that maintains a lot of uh, our clients' gardens. There's a few that do it themselves, but a, the large contingent of our clients are, are pretty pretty busy people, so they they um, they definitely get the assistance of a of a um, landscape maintenance consultant. I think uh, when you're working around a pool, especially, it's if you're uncomfortable using a like a long handled hedge trimmer um, or, or a battery powered hedge trimmer, if you're uncomfortable with it, then yes, get get a professional in to help you. But I find uh, w- with a lot of my clients, they let us do that sort of stuff, but then they they want to do the pottering around, you know. A little bit of weeding, yeah. a little bit of pruning, that sort of stuff, so they feel connected, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's really nice, you know, for people to own the garden and I kind of, you know, you sort of, um, I've learnt over time, you know, having a bit of a commercial background as well, where people, you know, ownership of spaces is, is really important. So um, if you can give them a hand with um, the fertilising or the horticultural side of things and leave a little bit to them, I think you'll find that the garden over time will, will um, they'll love it and um, it, it'll it'll do really well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, an interesting one when you're, sorry to keep going back to pools, but when you're picking a, a colour for a pool, the colour of the water can, can really impact on the space. Uh, and it's quite strange, isn't it? Using a light tile will give you sort of a bluey kind of colour. How do you how do you work the colour of the pool water into your designs and, and how do you sort of explain that to your clients on how that works? Yeah, it's extremely um, difficult and I'm, I'm continually surprised um, by uh, what, how much different a tile looks in and out of, a water, of the water. So um, mm. probably some past projects is really useful to show people, you know, that kind of glacier blue that you get from a white tile. Um, and, and obviously the 3D rendering software we have, we can... Um, change that with a few clicks of the button. So mm. we can, we're fortunate enough to be able to show clients how it looks and then also at different times of the day with different lights and cloud cover and sun, it's amazingly different. So we, we probably 
I think we select them a little bit on client preference, but if we have a, there's there's one we're doing that which is on the Swan River, um, and it's an infinity edge pool. So, what we're trying to achieve with mm. that one is um, blending that into the colour of the river, and you know, so as you look out over it, it, it seamlessly kind of connects to the river. So we're using a really dark, well, we're hoping to use a really dark tile um, for that project so we can actually kind of start to nestle the pool into the broader river. So it's, you know, you don't get the opportunity very often to do that um, in Perth. So mm. uh, we're hoping that's that's how we'll, that one will go forward. Yeah, nice reflective sort of quality to the water is, is always a nice touch. It sounds like you've worked on some pretty spectacular uh, landscapes and gardens. Do you have a favourite? I think, yeah, yes and no. I've got a few that I love going back to because um, the clients, uh, they pretty much trusted us to go to be professionals and, and, and get, get, the, get the outcome that we needed. So there was a little bit of, hey, this is what we want, and there was hands off the wheel. So um, there's, there's, there's a couple I go back to. We, we end up pretty much, you know, really luckily friends with a lot of our clients and you know, they've had us back for barbecues and um, so mm. forth with our families, which is really, really nice. Um, and, yeah, there's definitely a couple that I'd go back to. And it's sort of somewhat about the garden, somewhat about the, the friendship that you form, um, which makes it really, really nice to go back to. Yeah, that's one of the benefits of the job, isn't it? Totally. You mentioned that you, you grow things in your verge to kind of trial them before you, you put them into a, a landscape. With your own garden, is that uh, do you just do that on the verge, or do you find yourself tinkering in the in, in the main garden and replacing things? And you know, how does your own how, how does your own garden work? Our garden is probably I did it ten years ago, so it's actually quite green on green, and it was probably where I was at um, at that time. So there's lots of viburnum and maria and star jasmine and Miss Muffets and citrus. I love citrus um, as a tree, mm-hmm. um, so that was probably. Um, you know, and, and once it's in, it's, you know, it's, um, and, and mature, it's, it's in. But it's given us a great deal of sort of privacy and um, greenery from the windows. So I think it would be interesting, you know, the next garden that I do for, for us would be likely to be quite quite um, a bit more mixed up. So our verge is quite um, sort of mixed up um, because I'm trialling a lot of stuff, but it's still composed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the broader garden's a bit more like, um, uh, like a... Um, yeah, layers of green on green, really. Sounds like a lot of clipping. Do you get out there yourself and <laughs> and prune? Or yeah, I do. Look, I, I probably I do it a bit, but it's actually not. Like I said, it's not. It's not as much as people might um, think, and it depends on how clipped you want it. So you know, I definitely I've just got you know a, a, a battery operated wand, um, and that that comes uh-huh. out, and um, you know it's it's actually. And, I, you know, because I'm talking to people and, you know, working quite a lot, it's really nice to be able to get out and mow the lawn and, um, you know, I really enjoy sort of doing the gardening because it just gives me a bit of, um, you know, a bit of quiet time to sort of, um, yeah, just have a bit of downtime. Absolutely. And, and battery power is a real game changer for people taking on their own taking on their own gardens if it comes to hedging, to mowing lawns, all that sort of stuff. It it makes the quiet time even more quiet, you know, makes it a really enjoyable totally. process. And it's so convenient um, yeah. just having, you know, those sets of, of, of battery-powered tools where you can just swap it straight in, straight out. And, they're, they're, you know, the technology these days is so good for those kind of, when you've got the skins um, that you can just, you know, just, just grab them and off you go. Yeah, it's nice to see everything's moving a bit more environmentally friendly from tools all the way through to, to swimming pools. Absolutely. 
Well, Tristan, it has been great talking to you. Absolutely fantastic. It's nice to put a, a face to the Instagram that I that I pour over most evenings at, and look at your landscape. I, I really love the work you do. So, so keep it up and, and thank you for joining us. Thanks very much, Charlie. Nice to meet you too. So now it is time for me to answer some of your community questions. And Kelly from the Gold Coast asks, Charlie, I love listening to the first season of your podcast. Oh, thank you. No question. But I do like when you say things like that. And we have a lawn near our pool with a line of pavers bordering them. When cutting the grass, some trimmings regularly get blown into the pool. Well, let me tell you what my mum did for me in 2016 at the Chelsea Flower Show. I had a lawn, a sunken lawn, and around the outside was a water rill. And my mum got on her hands and knees in the pouring rain and used a pair of scissors to keep all the edges nice and straight. Now, I don't suggest you do it with scissors, but if you do use uh, some hand shears, that is a great way to cut the edge without it blowing into the swimming pool. Jody from Perth has emailed and asked, Hi Charlie, I recently moved from Sydney to Perth and I've noticed the soil in my garden is very different. From heavy soil in Sydney, my new home is very sandy. Do I have any tips on how I should look after the soil, particularly for my veggie patch? Well, let me tell you, the soil in Perth is generally pretty terrible. It's very, very sandy. So incorporating lots of organic matter and lots of compost is a good way to improve the structure. But you need to be aware that it doesn't become hydrophobic, which is where it cannot accept water. If that happens, you need to add a wetting agent. You can spray that on or use a granule. For your veggie patch, you want to be adding lots and lots of organic matter. And cow manure is the best thing you can add to a veggie patch. Make sure it's well rotted and you should have a great harvest. Do you have a gardening question you'd like me to answer? Well, send an email to charlie at still.com.au and I'll try and answer them in two weeks, which will be our last episode. It was great to discuss designing a garden around water with Tristan. And there's a lot more that needs to be considered than many people realise. So if you're thinking of making the plunge and installing a pool, or you want to refresh your garden around a pool, I think the biggest tip is talk to a qualified landscape designer. They're going to help you maximise the full potential of your garden. You need to consider what type of water the pool will have and the impact it's going to have on the surrounding garden. And it's great to hear there's a movement towards natural swimming pools. We also spoke about the amazing selection of plants you can have around your swimming pool to maximise your green whilst minimising your maintenance. Well, thanks for listening to That's How We Grow in partnership with Still Garden Power Tools. Do you need the tools to take on any garden challenge? Go to the Still website or head to your local Still dealer today. There are over 600 Still dealers across Australia and you can easily find your local dealer on the Still website. Don't forget to check out Still's blog with plenty of great gardening advice, as well as many of my key seasonal tips and tricks. Be sure to go to blog.still.com.au. Our next episode will be a bumper edition. My special guest will be the incredible garden designer, Paul Bangay. Paul is an amazing garden designer, and I can't wait to pick his brain on anything and everything to do with this. His incredible garden, Stonefields, in central Victoria, is amazing. I can't wait to chat with Paul, and this episode will drop in two weeks. 